Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, CMO at BDEX, along with David Finkelstein, BDEX's co-founder and CEO. Great to see you, David. How have you been? I'm good, Jesse. How are you? Not too bad. What's new in the BDEX world? Uh, that's new in the BDEX world. Uh, an update to OmniIQ today and uh, just... Uh, uh, what else? Uh, some new updates with the API. So we've been pretty busy on our end. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love the Slack channel too. We're seeing more and more people join that. So yes, anyone I'm, wants to join. I'm glad you brought that up. So we'd like to, I think that's something we want to promote more and more. I think it's important to extend the conversation, conversations that we have here um, into the Slack channel where people can talk about uh, the data industry and how that affects uh, marketing, you know, ad tech and martech as a whole. So, uh, you know, I think we should include a link with that, with this podcast so that we can let people know. So maybe we'll do that when we post it. Absolutely. We can definitely do that. So look for a link in the comments. I'll drop that here in LinkedIn and YouTube, but then also on Spotify and the podcast once we get there too. Um, the link does expire every 30 days. So if you see it later on, just reach out at info at bdex.com. We would love to have you in the Slack channel. Um, well, nice. So, um, David, are you ready to be inspired and motivated by a true leader in um, the digital marketing space? Yeah, let's do it. Let's introduce Joe and see, uh, give him a chance to share some knowledge. Absolutely. Yes. Today, we get to talk to Joe Laratro, president and founder of Tandem Digital Marketing. Um, he joined the SEO world in 1999 bringing deep internet roots from running his own BBS in the late 80s. So Joe wears many hats as the CEO of Tandem, is a publisher, uh, I'm sorry, a published author of The SEO Diet. Um, That's definitely a book I want to check out. He's also a lead moderator at PubCon and co-president of South Florida Interactive Marketing Association. So um, today, as the CEO of Tandem, he also works together with clients for website success through online marketing strategies that will drive bottom line results. So let's go ahead and welcome him in. Thanks for being here, Joe. Thanks for having me. Hey, Joe. All, All right. right. We're glad to have you here. Um, so I think uh, you know you got a nice introduction there. So I'd love to dig into that a little bit. So why don't you tell us your story? Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today, and uh, you know how you got to starting Tandem, and uh, and you know the solutions that Tandem provides, and then we can get a little more deep into our topics. Sure. So uh, I started like this in the bio. I was I was actually. Uh, a, a bulletin board system nerd when I was very, very young. And I like, I taught myself, I think it was Turbo C programming back then. And these are on like the old school 2400 baud modems, 9600 baud modems, and you know, working my way up. Uh, from there, I, I ran a computer consulting company for about four years and did a lot of help desk stuff. So I was very technical background. And then 2000, I had an opportunity to go work for a startup that was getting involved in SEO. And I was there for six years and I was basically at the very beginning of the industry. Got to go to the first conferences, uh, was very involved in kind of crafting how the industry was evolving in, in the early days. And then I started Tandem in 2006 because I felt like I wanted to be more of a consultant and be able to work directly with the clients and not provide a lot of services. That actually changed pretty quickly because what we found were that we were giving 
you know, great consulting services, very happy clients, but they didn't have the time to implement any of the stuff. So they come back a year later and say, well, we want another site review. We go look and okay, we didn't do anything. So then I evolved you know, pretty quickly into providing the services for the clients of you know, writing, link building, pay-per-click management. And then throughout the years, you know, now we do a little bit more with landing page design, some social media, um, things like that. But I've stayed you know, very close to the industry and my work with PubCon, we actually just finished one. So I just got back from PubCon that was in Austin. And this was our, our first big show since 2019. It was about 500 people there, and it was incredible. Um, but my role with PubCon throughout the years is I've been lead moderator. So I work very closely with Brett Tabke, the owner, in choosing the speakers, the sessions, organization. Um, and then I moderate the actual session. So it gives me like fingertip access to everyone in the industry. Uh, it's, it's just it's an amazing, it's an amazing group to be part of. That's awesome. Um, it's really interesting. And, and you must have, have been in being in SEO for so long, seen a lot of changes over those years. Talk to us a little bit about those changes. I'm really interested to see, you know, as those changes occurs, how you've evolved and, you know, how, how you know, you've seen the industry evolve. Sure. So one of the, the coolest things I can say about that is the person that taught me SEO was a magician like by trade, that was his professional job because he was a magician, a magician. And he learned these tactics and this software that did what we now call cloaking that would flood the search engines with a bunch of low quality pages and get rankings. And <laughs> the way the company I first worked with actually sold like keyword packages. And that's, it was, that was the industry. I mean, it was snake oil. I mean, you were selling just these weird products and it worked though. So, so let me say it was a snake because it did work. It actually did work. I mean, it, it got very good results for clients. And some of the clients I got to work with um, in the in the very early days were huge, you know, Fortune 100 companies that were doing some of these tactics. But it has evolved over the years, and it's become a scenario where you have to work, you know, very much in tandem with the clients for success because. There, really, there's not shortcuts. There's, you know, it's evolved in terms of technical SEO. And technical SEO has even become more relevant lately. When you're looking at like site speed, usability. Uh, Google gives us or works very closely with uh, the core web vitals, and it's looking at you know the quality of the, the way the site was built, the speed of the way the site was built, and then content. Throughout the years, we've seen what I would almost call content wars, and we're about to enter a new one, which I'll explain in a second. But content evolved from you know, lots of low quality content to where Google started giving, and this is probably about eight years ago or so, uh, Google started doing the answer box results. So if you do a search query and Google found that your content had the best results, you would get an answer box. Well, the answer box created almost a content war. If you had an answer box result for, let's say, um, you know, what's the best pizza restaurant in Las Vegas, and you were the answer box result, then another pizza restaurant would make a better piece of content to try to get that result from you. And then you'd see that they'd win. So then you would go update your content, and make it even a better piece of content. So it was amazing how high the quality of content got because of that. And the search engines use 
algorithms for updates. And there's been you know, many updates over the years that like one of the first ones, it was a really big one was called the Florida update. I think that was back in 2006 ish, maybe. And that was taking away, you know, low quality link building and you know, really low quality tactics. And I just, again, the conference I just left, the one we were talking about the most was called the helpful content update, which there was two versions of it last year. And that's where if you've got a lot of content on the website that's low quality content and not built more for search engines than users, um, you saw a hit in your traffic. So that was kind of a, a bigger one last year. And then you go back over the last few years, there was your, um, the your money, your life, the eat, which was just updated to two E's. Now it's expertise, um, ex well, experience, expertise, authority, and trust. But it's things like this that, you know, throughout, throughout the years, we've had to constantly evolve our strategies, always make them better. And potentially we're giving better results for the search engines, which means better results for the users. It's very yeah. interesting. That was a good question going back into asking about the history of SEO, David. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's almost comical when you think about how yeah. easily um, manipulated that, you know, Google was in the early days, um, you know, just with keywords, you know, keyword stuffing and then and then links and then content. And they've gotten better and better at making sure that the content is relevant and, and, and real, you know, and that's good. I think that, you know, that's ultimately good for, you know, for everyone. So. Um, we'll see where, where that leads us. Uh, um, I don't know if you want to jump into our topics. Uh, yeah, let's I, do I, it. I'm off topic, so I want to make sure <laughs> <a> topic. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Joe, what are the challenges of losing free analytics and A-B testing? So I know this sort of transitions our conversation into, um, you know, more of Google, but uh, Google Analytics. Could you kick us off on this topic and kind of inform, you know, some of the novice marketers who maybe don't know as much about GA4 um, yeah. and then, you know, where we go from here. So th this topic came up because this was, this was actually a presentation at PubCon and it said it like that. And when it said it and when it worded it as we we're losing free analytics and free AB testing, I really like, I sat there and I had to think about it. I was like, wow, I mean, we really are. So Google changed the game with analytics when they created Google Analytics. Because prior to that, the free version of it, which they purchased was Urchin. And Urchin would go back into server logs, process server logs, and create the analytics that we used. And then there was very expensive solutions. Uh, I think WebTrends, I, I mean, I don't even, it's a long time that I haven't thought yeah. of the paid ones, but I think it was WebTrends, now that it's Adobe. But potentially by Google Analytics switching to GA4, if you want that old school style analytics report, you're going to have to switch to a, a paid solution. There is an open source solution right now that is gaining some traction. The name escapes me. It starts with an M. Um, we did talk about it a bit, and I've, I've had a few clients kind of mention it. I'm not, I haven't used it yet though. But if you want that style of data, I mean, you're going to have to pay for it. And a lot of companies, I mean, we have, we've had 15 years and Google Analytics might be older than that, but let's say at least 15 years of absolutely free data of the best information you could ever ask for. Uh, and suddenly it goes away. And now you've got this cost that comes up with it. It's like, ouch, 
Um, I don't like that, but okay, we have to switch to GA4. So when we switch to GA4, it is still free, but the functionality is very different than analytics. And I just started learning about there's a token system. So even as you're as you're querying reports from GA4 and trying to make things look the way you want to look at the data. So there's all kinds of data in there, and hopefully you everyone's somewhat familiar with analytics. But as an SEO person, I look most frequently at the traffic that comes from organic search or paid search. I look at things like conversion rates, landing pages, goals. Uh, but there's so much data on audiences, um, user demographics, and there's a lot there. So in GA4, you have a challenge because it's just, it's not set up the same. A lot of the functionality is different. So for example, segments. So segments used to be very easy to set up. So if I have a segment that I want to see all of my iPhone traffic from the state of Florida, I set up Florida iPhone traffic. The segments in GA4 aren't saved. So now if you use segments a lot, you've got to have a separate side sheet of all of your segments built out by the, the search strings or the way you're going to combine the data. And every time you want to look at that, you've got to put it back in and do it kind of custom. So that's going to take some time. Um, am I re yes, I am referring to Matomo. Thank you, David. Uh, I've heard some good things about it. I haven't used it yet. And I have... I have webmasters that are actually swearing that, okay, like you don't have a choice. You've got to use it now. The, the challenge I've seen with Matomo is when we are testing for core web vitals. It seems to be slowing down the site. Um, so that, I mean, that's a little bit tricky. Uh, all right. So let's go back to GA4. So a challenge with GA4 for me is that, a lot of the way we would track performance would be goals and goals you could very easily set up if you're a business that does you know lead gen with thank you pages. So a thank you page typically is you know a nice page that shows up and it's a it's a unique URL. The new system in GA4 runs on on events. It doesn't run at all on any kind of page where you would land on a page. So now you've got to go back and set up your goals to fire events. And then you have to code the events inside GA4 to say that that's your goal. So just an example here, we had, um, it's a moving company and they had basically three main goals of the way you could submit. You could submit on mobile, desktop, or paid. It was three different experiences. So now using Google Tag Manager, we went back in and at the same place that we were going to a thank you page, we're now firing this event that says like, mobile PPC goal or desktop PPC goal. But that takes time and you've got to get it working. And then there's a, a whole nother world of problems in that we lose historical data. So there's no historical data in GA4 that comes from the regular Google Analytics. So imagine having a 10 year old website that you've watched progression of performance and then suddenly that just gets cut off and you have this new system you know work with and you can't even like lap for again for us i really like lapping the years although post-covid lapping covid years is pretty challenging to try to say that you should be doing better or not compared to some of those numbers um, but again that's a big data problem so um, there's ways that you can export the old google analytics data into like BigQuery and store it there and be able to dig into some of the old stuff but there's going to be 
I feel like this all goes live, I believe in July of this year, when we hit like the end of Q3, Q4, I believe, you know, data analysts, data scientists are going to be screaming about, well, you know, how do we, how do we go back and compare this data? So there's a, there's definitely a lot of challenges there. And then the other one that I mentioned was optimize. So optimize is a free product from Google to do like AB testing, but it was actually very complex of what it could do. Great, you know, data analytics on it. Um, great analysis of the performance, very easy to use and then completely compliant with Google. You weren't doing anything against their guidelines when you're doing the AB testing and that's just getting shut off. And originally I thought that, that was something that was just integrated into GA4 and it's not. So if you want to use um, AB testing tools, now you have to go back to paid scenarios and paid scenarios can get very expensive because it's based on traffic sessions. So big websites uh, where you're going to get, you know, good statistical data on a test now have to pay for this if they were using Google Optimize. Yeah, there, there's a lot of changes that, that this is causing. And, ob and obviously a lot of this is because of the um, deprecation of cookies. And so because of that, we're going to lose a lot of a lot of that data. Uh, and it's going to be a lot harder, even though, you know, when you're um, logging events, those events aren't necessarily tied to an individual consumer across channels. So it's going to be a lot more difficult to understand uh, which channels are working, um, you know, and performing best. Um, you're just going to be looking at those events and you're seeing events happening, but you're not necessarily going to be able to backtrack them to what channels uh, they came from. And so that, I think that's going to be uh, a big struggle. Um, and, and to your point, I think there's going to have to be, you know, third-party tools that are going to come into play that will, you know, help companies, you know, do a, you know, sort of fill that gap, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. And the historical data piece, I haven't really even thought about that, you know, but man, yeah. larger companies that have like really old websites, that's just kind of tragic. Um, yeah. And I liked that you had a solution for that too. There are things you can be doing to prepare for that. And so I'm curious, moving into the second topic, how have you and your team prepared for the transition to GA4? Would you say are some of the biggest steps you can take? So I can say, and I'm just looking at my notes from the show because I did, I did write down, I should have written down one. Um, no, I didn't get it. I've got to find it because there, there's a company that's already promoting like a discounted rate in order to capture the old GA4 data and put it into a, a saved format that we could use in the future. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it was, it was like, it's not agency analytics, but it was something like that. Now, sorry, as, a, as I went that way, um, <laughs> again, I got, I, um, it's an interesting, but it's still an interesting problem though, right? Because it's not going to tie directly into GA4. So you're going to have looking at completely different set of data from prior years versus the data from GA4. And that's the challenge. Uh -huh. um, so how have we prepared? I would say we're not prepared. And, and we have clients that are asking us to hire experts. And I don't know that there's experts in this yet. I mean, there's people that are doing it and I've seen white papers, I've seen you know some really interesting guides, but they all tend to be around the initial setup. They're not around like, how are you gonna actually use this data in these reports? 
So the best things that I could say that we've done is when it first was announced, we rolled it out broadly so that when it starts, there would at least be that year over year lap of the basic data. Now it's still not going to capture events. It's not going to capture conversions, but in terms of like traffic, because we started, you know, as soon as it was announced, we wanted to have that year of data in the system. So that would be one thing. Um, the next thing we did is I started training everyone how to set up goals in this new format, because it is very important that we track the goals and we have performance. And for the most part, it does equal events. Now events, I mentioned lead gen, but I mean, if you're e-commerce, then that would be, you know, set up the events around the sale. And if you are a publisher site or something like that, then you have events that might be more, you know, a little easier about how many pages and how long on site and things like that. But, um, we've done that training, internal training on some of the basics of the reports. I mean, that, I would say that's really all we've done so far. It's not enough. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's hard to know what, you know, what's enough, you know, because it's not, the outcome isn't something anyone's experienced yet. So and, until you see it and see the effect of it, um, you know, it's hard to know what, you know, what else is going to be needed to, you know, what needs to be done. So uh, I agree. It's a, it's one of those things where you got to kind of learn as you go. Yeah. The good thing is, is that everybody's learning as they're, as they're going. So yeah. no, no one has an advantage. No. Yeah. yeah. This is true. That's true. Um, so moving on in terms of best practices for custom variables for data enrichment and add data. Um, yeah. So what would you say here? Yeah. So there's some, I've done some really cool things over the years. And when I was trying to think of, okay, so what are like some really neat data topics? I can, I can dig into some unique stuff and I'm working with, Frederick, who is the owner of a company called Optimizer, because they build they build a lot of custom reports, scripts, and APIs that work with Google Ads. But one of the things that Google rolled out, it, it, it might it's it's less than two years ago, so it could have been last year, could have been a little bit before that. But they they gave us an option to put custom variables on Google Ads. And I believe it's limited to I think it's like a hundred thousand records for each variable. So you, what we've had to do is keep changing them keep changing the names. But in one particular case for Legion is basically a, a customer ID or a reservation ID at the end of it. So we started assigning that as a custom variable back to Google ads. And what that's done is allowed us to look at really the, the quality of the leads and where they came from better than we've ever seen it. So we can, we can kind of merge the data between uh, the client's internal systems, and in the, the case I'm talking about, it's a very custom-built CRM that manages the whole bit, the whole business, and then backtrack that into Google Ads of you know what I mean, what keyword drove that actual conversion. But you can go up the levels. You go ad group. You can go campaign. Um, you can look at the targeting on it. I mean, it's very, very interesting to be able to use those variables. So I think it's it's not that well known that those are there and they're, they're where you set up the conversions. And this might actually get more important as we move into GA4, uh, because I haven't, I haven't played with any of the custom variables in GA4. Now, at the same time, Google, the old Google Analytics has had custom, custom, I believe it's custom dimensions, a custom, there was two different versions of it, but a similar thing with custom variables that you could set it up and just 
pump in more of your own data to be able to tie it to your systems. And then through, um, so they, it's, this actually caught me at the conference because I keep thinking Data Studio and now it's called Looker. Yeah, I've heard that, mm -hmm. something like that. Is that correct? I mean, the, the name just escapes me of how that's better than Data Studio, but um, <laughs> there's, ways Studio? To, there's ways to connect the, uh, the Looker. What's it called? It's called Looker something. Looker no. Studio. Is Looker Studio? Okay, so Looker Studio. And that, and you can basically, you know, kind of merge these data systems and just get more out of it. But there's a lot of privacy protections in Google Analytics that when you try to get down to like an individual person, you lose a lot of the attribution um, because you get to that level. So, I mean, I just, I found some creative ways to, to tie it together. At Booker Studio. Yeah, that's... Really so that's interesting. So do you, so will the custom <laughs> variables work the same way in GA4? I, I have not tried to set them up yet. Okay. GA4 has a lot of that built in that it's going to try to, it's going to try to catch it. Um, it's going to try to catch it just from what it's seeing on the page, but actually, so I'm, I'm logged in and it does. So GA4 has custom dimensions and custom metrics. So it does look like that migrated over. Um, back to the previous question for a second, because it, it just hit me, is there's a very big ask right now from Google Ads to start migrating the audience data from Google Analytics to GA4. It's not, it's not native. So if you built audiences in Google Analytics, and again, say like kind of the segment I mentioned before, but Let's say you've, you've built an audience of converters that came in from Samsung devices. Um, that audience is not going to automatically pipe over. Plus, yeah. if you notice I, I said the word converters, that means they hit a goal and the goals are different now in GA4. So importing the audience is done through a Google Chrome connector. It's basically a plugin, and then it exports the audience in a way, probably Google Sheets, that can then import that audience back into GA4. But then you still have to kind of recreate it because it's very likely that the conversion points are going to be different. So a converted audience that existed on Google Analytics is going to be different than the converted audience in GA4 just by the nature of the, the goals being different you know, yeah. from URLs to events. So you have to start over again. <laughs> but they don't want you to start over again. That's why. So this is a this is a big ask right now. And then they're going to do it. They're supposedly going to do it automatically for you if you don't do it. But I would say that that's something that anybody that's worried about this now and does utilize the the audiences should be working on that today. Yes, that's probably a good wake up call for a lot of marketers in the audience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so we've touched on SEO and PPC a little bit. So sort of a broad question for you. Why do PPC and SEO play such an important role in digital marketing? If, if you're not a nationally known brand or internationally known brand, you know, it's very likely that you're going to get a bulk of your traffic, your search traffic anyways, from SEO work and PPC work. So if you're Nike, I don't know that you have to worry about optimizing your pages, although their pages are actually very well optimized. Um, and, and we were just, we just saw a project around, 
something they're doing with the Jordans. It's probably tied to the movie that's going to come out, but uh, there's so much intent in search and so much traffic that can come free on the organic side that you've got to focus on it. And, you know, through the years, we've seen lots of technologies, um, you know, flash is not a technology for building websites anymore because it didn't work for SEO. Like it's almost that simple. Like take, take a, something that was so easy to use and so cool and pretty, and it doesn't exist because it didn't, you couldn't SEO a website that was built in flash. Um, and even old technologies like cold fusion, you could do SEO, but it's hard to support them. And then WordPress got so popular because while WordPress is not SEO'd out of the box, there's these amazing plugins that you put in WordPress and then suddenly you've got a very friendly website. So, I mean, the main benefit of SEO is free traffic and then paid is depending on the business goals. I mean, you can either focus just on the bottom of the funnel and get the highest intent searches, or you can build a brand and build your funnel and search different levels. And there's constant innovation there. Um, one of the, one of the newest features is called Performance Max Campaigns, which basically takes like a whole world of what they, what you can do in paid search, and it's it's automated on Google side. You just plug in what your real goals are, and they go to town. And we worked with a, a very large homeschooling company that that was that was one of the most successful campaigns. It was definitely the the, the most successful new campaign, but I think it was the most successful campaign overall this past summer during their season. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. And and I'd like to uh, sort of inject AI into into a lot of these mm -hmm. conversations too, because it's so top of mind and um, and everybody only talks about chat GPT. And so when, when something came across, uh, I saw uh, today or yesterday, uh, which was uh, basically like an SEO platform that uses AI to build dynamic landing pages, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, again sort of maybe trying to manipulate a little bit the search engines right um yeah. but in a way that leverages ai so that uh, your landing pages are um you know sort of dynamically being updated based on you know, what's working and what's not working and so i thought that was kind of cool it's not just yeah. like hey let's just build a thousand landing pages you know and try to manipulate it that way with more like hey you know, let's, it optimizes as it goes. And as, mm -hmm. if it sees, you know, that certain keywords were working and the, and the content on the page is being sort of manipulated to create a landing page that works for that keyword and that set of keywords. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't heard of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it. And, can, we uh, stick on, can we stick on that for one second? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I watched Microsoft and Bing like duke it out and, <laughs> and Google, no, I'm sorry, Mike, not Microsoft and Bing. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I saw Google, Google and Bing duke it out. Yeah. And Google's like, we use AI everywhere. I mean, AI is on the image search. AI is this. AI is here. AI is probably the algorithm. Great. But Bing merged it. It's got their own version of a merged version with ChatGPT, which they showed us live. And the, the most important, one of the biggest takeaways for me is the difference between AI and generative AI. So ChatGPT is called generative AI, which I did not know. So in case anybody doesn't know, it's a good good thing to learn yep. because that's where like the wildness of what's going on right now is focused around that, even though there's so many other components to AI that are, are, are already in our daily lives. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand. They think, you know, ChatGPT, because they've gotten a chance to play with it, you know, that's AI to them, you know, yeah. um, not realizing that there's so many other things going on in AI, whether it be in search or, or you know, um, just ad tech in general or MarTech in general. So uh, I, that's why I always kind of like to bring it up and make sure that listeners realize that that there are so many other technologies that are using AI um, well beyond you know what you've what you've seen you know there's so many technologies that are working behind the scenes 100 percent chat gpt just is at the fingertips of all consumers now so it's you know easy to think that that's what ai is but just think you can take that power and go find your best audience too right david with um tools like omni iq and there's so many other things like you were talking about landing pages i gotta find this company that sounds really interesting um, but I want to hear about your tech stack and I'm sure some other right. folks in the audience too. So, um, yeah, take it away, Joe. What are some of your favorite tools? So, I mean, we use so many, it's, it's kind of nuts. And I think I was, I was going through the Amex bill and today and I was like, wow. Uh, so I wrote a quick list down. Uh, this is by no means all of them, but definitely some of the ones that I use a lot and I enjoy kind of using, they're amazing. So Optimizer, which I, I mentioned before, Optimizer's for paid search, it's an overlay for Google Ads. SEMrush, which has all kinds of tools for SEO. Ahrefs, same thing. SpyFu, great research on both the paid side and organic side. Asana I threw in there just because, I mean, we use a lot, it's great for management. Majestic, which is good for SEO. Full Story, which is amazing for session recordings and kind of finding UX problems. Microsoft Clarity, which is free. So Microsoft Clarity is like a Full Story and like a VWO. Um, incredible. What used to be Data Studio Looker. And then last, which is, I hear it mentioned all the time. And, and when I first saw the bill for it, I was like, what? what are we doing with this thing? But Supermetrics. So Supermetrics is an incredible connector for different platforms that goes now into Looker Studio to just be able to build these incredible reports and ways to analyze performance. That's, that's great. That's a lot of new ones that we don't hear all the time. And so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I hadn't heard a full story or clarity, so that's cool. I can't yeah. I, I, listen, clarity to me is one of the best kept secrets. It's like, it's like when Google Analytics first came out, but Microsoft's not I don't know why it's just not you know wildly out there because it is so impressive and it's free. Hmm. It shows you it shows you things like rage clicks. Like I I, I don't think I was overly familiar with the term rage click. <laughs> these automatic reports of like rage clicks. Now you go look at it and say, okay, well, where are these rage clicks? And you find out that somebody was going to your website and they thought that this was a button and there's no button there and they just keep hitting it. Okay, well, guess what? Now I can go fix this where that was happening and I can I can utilize that. Uh, it's a it's a very powerful tool for free. So it's Microsoft Clarity. I think it's clarity.microsoft.com. Cool. I'm surprised we we haven't heard Asana yet. I think you're one of the first that mentioned Asana, but yeah, Asana is a pretty good. You said Asana, yeah, right? Asana. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, project management platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's another good one. Lots of good ones there. And Microsoft Clarity hadn't tagged that one before, but um, SEM Rush, we've definitely heard them before. Yeah, um, yeah that's a great tool. But, you know, I think we have a few minutes. We might be able to get to some of these right. topic questions. 
Um, so Joe, for you all you listeners that, that requested them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. We were reminded that we don't often get time to get to these, but, um, you know, people we bring on, you're, you're a really awesome person. You've got this incredible background and people are interested in you and learning, you know, kind of what your history is and how you got here. But so if you could go back to when you first came into SEO, what is the number one piece of advice you would give yourself now? So I, this is sad because I really have to think about like what my honest answer would be. My honest answer would be that I, I would have thought more about building a product than a service. Mm. I, I grew up in the service industry. My dad actually had a waste management company in Miami. And I was a kid, I was going into the company and like helping out and pinning the board and I go on trucks. So I like in my heart, I knew the service business and I wanted to serve and I like, I still, I love what I do, but in terms of making money, if I would have built a tool way back then, I mean, the tools have all got gobbled up big bucks. Uh, I think I would have amplified my success uh, quite a bit if I could go back and, and build tools. Hmm. That's, That's a great answer. And I think yeah. that, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're always trying to do is, is serve our listeners. And so I think that's a really, really great service to our li listeners to share that information and share those insights based on your experience. That's great. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess going off of that, are there any lessons that you've learned along the way from past jobs or, you know, this current role as CEO um, that you think everybody should know? Yes. So uh, transparency with this is from the agency side. So from the agency side to clients, I think transparency is the most important. And just getting back from this conference, I spoke with lots of my peers, the own agencies, and we compared notes on revenue, clients lost, amount of employees and things like that. And I also just heard in like the book on chat that, you know, there was all these companies that were there apparently very upset with their agencies that were locked in contracts and they didn't have ownership of things and they, you know, they felt like their hands were tied. And while I know for like business purposes, it's better that you have contracts and the agency tries to hold control, but I've never been like that. I and mean, when we founded, when I founded Tandem it, and we, to, to this day, we still do not have contracts with clients. Like they stay with us because we're doing a good job and they're happy with the service. Otherwise go find someone else. Um, and so ownership and transparency and communication, I mean, we are most successful with clients that work with us and are involved in strategies and are involved with telling us, you know, what's working in business. So it's not just us saying, okay, well, we, we got you a bunch of leads and you should do well. And it doesn't, that doesn't always happen. Or we got you a bunch of traffic and you should do well. That doesn't always happen. So it's, it's the, the back and forth that really makes it, it makes it thrive. Hmm. Yeah. That's great feedback, especially absolutely. for the agency world. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Definitely. Well, in closing, Joe, how can the audience find you? Uh, so in terms of Joe Laratro, it's it's like the only ones that are left are me and my son. So it should be pretty easy to find me. You just go to Google and, and find me. But I'm on LinkedIn, uh, a little bit active on uh, Instagram, a little tiny bit on Facebook. But um, or you go to the website, tandem.buzz, and I'm sure I'm, it shouldn't be that hard to find me on there. Awesome. It's awesome. Well, we appreciate you being with us today. And Joe, um, this has been great. And I think that uh, our listeners hopefully learned a lot. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate the opportunity.
Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody, or at least all the marketers out there, we need to be paying attention to GA4. So this was definitely a great reminder. Um, But in closing, you can find the Deconstructing Data podcast on all major podcast apps, YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We hope you'll also check out bdex.com and we have our app, OmniIQ. Um, And so you can just try it for free right off the website. So just visit bdex.com and go to OmniIQ. You can upload a CSV file of your first party customer data and get free analytics on it without a credit card. So, um, you know, then ideally you're going to see that and you're going to like it and you're going to want to learn more and you'll be able to upgrade and, um, you know, build an expanded custom audience to with AI um, and do sort of what we were talking about earlier with ChatGPT. You know, we see all this magic with how it's creating content for us. Just imagine what it can do to help us go find our ideal customers. So um, just simply go to bdex.com, click the try for free button, um, or I can pop the QR code up here. I guess I haven't done that in a while. And you can just scan this and go check out OmniIQ. Anything else you want to add on OmniIQ before we close, David, or anything else? Nope, Jesse, I think you said it all. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks a lot, everybody. And until next time.